Well, good morning, church. Um, I have a confession to make this morning that sometimes I make mistakes. Anybody else make mistakes in the room? Nobody else. Okay, just like a few of you. Okay. Well, last week I went to a large degree to, to thank some folks that really served well and, and helped build a carport. And then I was let know afterwards, which I apologize for, that the three hardest workers I totally forgot to mention, and that is Joe Goddard, Pat Whittington, and Robin Green. If you three would stand up real quick, stand up. I know you don't want to, but stand up. There you go, because I can wait. There we go. So, ladies. Thank you, and let's be honest, we know that they were really the ones probably organizing the whole thing, and it went well, so thank you ladies for doing that. Uh, today we're going to do something that, that kind of makes me a little bit sad, is we are going to finish the book of Colossians. I've enjoyed the 12 weeks that we have spent in this book, and, and as I said last week, if you read the very end of Colossians, really Paul is doing a final address, like thank, you know, thankful for different people that was, that was going to be sent their way, and so the last few verses are really just all about a greetings and kind of a farewell address, but there's a portion of the scripture I want to pay careful attention to this morning that's not at the very end. But as we think about Colossians, hopefully there's some things that we've realized. And if not, I, I want to kind of walk you through that. And it's this, that we've all realized, whether we believe it or not, we all pursue something in life, don't we? We pursue hope. We pursue peace. We pursue security. We pursue joy. We pursue a lot of different things. And the truth of what Paul has taught us through the book of Colossians is that in discovering that, it's not Jesus plus something that equals that. So if you're searching for security, it's not Jesus plus finances equals security. If you're searching for fulfillment, it's not Jesus plus family that equals fulfillment. What we've learned through the book of Colossians is it's Jesus plus nothing that equals everything. Amen? Do you believe that this morning? Amen. It's just Jesus. That everything we're searching for, everything can be found in the person and the finished work of Jesus Christ. But here's the reality of that, that the enemy does not want us to embrace that. We've talked about that. The enemy does not want us to embrace the truth that Jesus is enough. So what does he do? He attacks us. And one of the ways that he attacks us is by inundating us with the, phil the philosophies of this world. And if you remember, I quoted two famous philosophers the very first week, and one of them was Daniel LaRusso, who says, what goes around comes around, right? And you've all heard that philosophy that's called karma today, and that's a philosophy that's inundating us in the world that says, you know, we just kind of operate that way, that, that they're going to get what's coming to them. Well, that's not necessarily true. And then I introduced the really famous uh, philosopher, Kelly Clarkson, who said what? If it doesn't kill you, it makes you what? Strong. Somebody's going to sing that. Please don't. Please don't sing that. It's going to make you stronger, right? And I say that to, just to mention this, that the music we listen to, the shows we watch, the news radio, all that is driven by inundating us with the philosophies of this world. And what Paul says is this, Jesus is enough. But the enemy doesn't want you to buy into that. The enemy doesn't want you to embrace that. So his plan of attack is to inundate us with philosophies that want to shape our identity, want to shape our purpose, and want to shape our worldview. But Paul comes to this conclusion that all the philosophies of this world all fall short. That when you embrace them hoping to find something, it can't hold up its end of the deal. They all fall short. So Paul says this, if we're going to embrace this truth that Jesus is enough, we need to make sure we keep our heart in check, our mind in check, and our testimony in check. And then for the last several weeks, we've been talking about how do we do that? How do we keep those three things in check? Chapter three, Paul says this, that we're going to have to make sure that there's some things in our life that we have to put to death. 
There's some sin in our life that we've got to kill, we've got to get rid of if we're going to keep those things in check. He also says there's some things in our life that we've got to make sure that we put aside, like anger, wrath, you know, all those kinds of things. If we're going to keep our heart and our mind and our testimony in check, we've got to kill some things, but we've got to put some things aside. And then he says, but not only that, there's some things that you've got to what? Put on. There's some things you've got to put on in your life. And he talks about things like humility, meekness, patience, all of our favorite words, right? And he talks about if we're going to really reflect Christ and we're going to be his witness in this world and we're going to keep our heart, mind, and testimony in check, there's some things we got to put in our life. And then he talked about if we're going to keep those things in check, we got to make sure that we have our priorities right, right? We've got to make sure that our life is clothed in love. We've got to make sure that the peace of Christ is reigning and ruling in us. We've got to make sure that the word of Christ is dwelling in us. If we're going to keep this life and we're going to keep those things in check and we're going to live for Christ, we've got to make sure that we have the right priorities. And then last week, Paul told us this, that if we're going to keep our heart, mind, and testimony in check, we need to make sure that our relationships are right. So he talks about the marriage relationship between husband and wife. He talks about the relationship between a parent and their child. And then he talks about the relationship between an employer and an employee. Now listen to me on this. When you go through the book of Colossians, then the words that Paul provides is great encouragement. It just reminds us that Jesus is enough. That the world, what they offer is not enough. And if we're going to embrace this truth, there's some things in our lives that we have to actively do, like putting aside, putting to death, putting on, having the right priorities, making sure our relationships are right. Why? Because the enemy's going to attack us. He's coming after your marriage. He's coming after your relationship with your kids. He's coming after your job. He's coming after it. And if we're going to protect ourselves against that, we need to do everything that Paul has commissioned us to do. And so as we wrap up this book, I really feel like Paul knows that as he leaves the church of Colossae, as he, as he, the final thing he pins to them, he knows that he's leaving them in a war zone. Not a physical war zone, a spiritual war zone. And he wants them to be able to navigate the war zone they're in, and he wants them to be able to stand firm and to stand strong in their faith. And I think the same thing is true for us. Listen to me, church. When you walk out these doors in a minute, you are in a war zone, Right? And I'm not talking about a physical war zone, like you have a fight with your neighbor. I'm not talking about that. You will be under a spiritual battle when you leave this place. Maybe even right now, you're in a war zone. And we need to be able to take all the things that Paul said and go, okay, how do we navigate the war zone we're in? And how do we make sure that we are living strong and standing firm in our faith in Christ? And that's exactly what Paul addresses today. In fact, he tells the church of Colossae three different things. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to read, turn with me to Colossians chapter 4, and we're going to be reading in verse 2 through 6. And if you would, if you'd stand with me in honor of reading God's word, chapter 4, verses 2 through 6 says this, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving, at the same time, pray also for us that they may open doors for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I'm in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of your time. Let your speech always be gracious and seasoned with salt so that you may know how you ought to answer each 
person. Let's pray. God, I love you, and I thank you for your word today, Lord. And as we wrap up this book of Colossians, may we be able to put a final stamp on this letter, a final stamp on this book as it applies to our life. Lord, may we take these words of Apostle Paul that you inspired him to write. May we take these words and realize this is what we have to do if we're going to navigate the war zone we live in and if we're going to stand firm in our faith. So Lord, bless us, be with us, and may your truth be opened up to us today. For it's in your precious son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. You have a seat. Have a seat. Now, as you look at the passage, there's three things I think Paul is really challenging the church with. The first one's found in verse 2. Let's go back to verse 2. He says this, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it and with thanksgiving. The first thing Paul says is be steadfast in prayer. Be steadfast in prayer. The very first thing Paul says. Now, did you notice there, he begins with the word before that that says continue? Did you all pick up on that? Now, if you know me, you know words matter, right? So words matter. So this word continue really kind of has a double-edged sword to it. Because on one hand, Paul's encouraging the church that those of you that are steadfastly praying, keep doing it. Because there were some people in the church, I'm sure, they were being steadfast in their prayer. And Paul says, continue to do it. But for others, the other side of the sword was he was admonishing those who were not doing it and challenging them, hey, make sure you start doing it. So to the church in Colossae, those who are being steadfast in your prayer and those who aren't, here's how you're going to navigate the war zone. Here's how you're going to make sure that you can live a life that is strong and firm in the Lord. You need to be steadfast in prayer. In fact, some of your translations will take steadfast and will say, devote yourselves in prayer. That's really kind of what it means. So when he says be steadfast in prayer, what is Paul saying? Well, he's saying steadfast means this, I want you to pray with perseverance. I got a question. Anybody ever prayed and God not answer your prayer immediately? So the rest of you have had an answered immediately. Okay, great, great. We need to hang out with you more often, right? Anybody ever prayed and the answer wasn't what you wanted it to be? Okay. Anybody, listen, anybody ever prayed and you heard crickets for a long period of time? Say, I don't know about you, but for me, when I pray, I feel like God knows my heart and he does. And I feel like that my way is a really good way and he ought to go along with my way because it's a really good way. Anybody else like that? And so when I pray, I feel like God should respond pretty quickly because I have a pretty good plan in place and, and why not just put a stamp of approval and let's move on from it. But what I found out is God doesn't work that way because scripture is right and I'm usually wrong that his way is higher than my ways. His thoughts are not my thoughts. That his plan to make me, to, if I follow him to make my path straight, his straight and my straight aren't always the same straight. And so, you know, the reality is this, is that when he says pray steadfastly, he's like, I want you to pray with perseverance. I want you to pray. And if I, you don't hear me speak and through my word or through people or just through the nudging of the Holy Spirit, or my answer is not what you want it to be, I want you to keep praying. Now, don't raise your hand, but how many of us, when we pray and we don't feel like we hear from God or it's not the answer we want, we just throw the towel in? We're like, well, God's not listening to me. God doesn't care about me. Have you ever been at a point in your life when you feel like God was not mindful of you? I'm just telling you, that's a lie straight from the devil. Because scripture says that David said, who am I that God is even mindful of me? That this eternal creator God is thinking about you. Did you know that this morning? 
He's thinking about you. What you do, how you feel, what you want, what you need is not beyond the scope of what God knows about you. He knows everything about you. And he says, I want you as a church, I want you. If you're going to navigate this war zone, if you're going to stand strong in the Lord, you've got to pray steadfastly. You've got to pray with perseverance, and you've got to pray without ceasing. We know Scripture says that, right? To, pray, to be habitual in our prayer, to pray without ceasing. Now, let me tell you what that does not mean. That doesn't mean you're praying all the time, okay? I mean, that's, uh, that's not what it means. To pray without ceasing means to always be in a mindset of praying. For example, you're going through the line at Publix, and you're praying, you have this long line, you're waiting, and you wish there was more cashiers because there's never enough cashiers, and, and you're waiting there, and you begin to pray, Lord, would you help me notice the needs of those around me? Or probably what fits most of us is, you're driving somewhere, and somebody cuts you off, or somebody is driving way too slow because they're in the fast lane, not the slow lane. They know better, they mean the fast lane because this is the fast lane for a reason, not the slow lane for a reason, but they're in front of you, and you begin to pray, God, would you give me the patience not to lash out at them as I pass by them and stare at them the entire time that I pass by them? <laughs> Obviously, I don't struggle with this, Right? But do you get my point about praying continually? See, the idea that Paul is saying is when he says pray steadfastly, he's literally saying, I want you to pray with a great deal of perseverance. I don't want you to stop praying. I don't want you to be discouraged and quit praying. I don't want you to be defeated and quit praying. I want you to keep praying. And I want you to pray without ceasing. I want you to be in a mindset where you're always communing with your heavenly Father. I want you to be steadfast in prayer. Now, why is it important for Paul to challenge the church this way? Here's why. Because prayer is the, one of the greatest tools that you and I have as a believer. Did you know that? And I would go as far as to say, and we talked about this in Nehemiah, it's one of the most untapped tools that we have for too many believers. What I mean is there's too many believers, as a believer, as a follower of Jesus Christ, you have access to the throne of grace. You have access to pray, and creator God hears you when you pray. The Father in heaven hears you when you pray, and too many of us don't take that opportunity. And he says, listen, I want you to be steadfast in prayer. And the reason he encourages them with that is because prayer is one of the greatest tools we have. It's important for us as believers to commune with our Heavenly Father. Now think about it. When we're communing with him, what are we doing? We're asking for his wisdom, his guidance, and his direction in our lives. And I don't know about you, but I need those three things, don't you? In fact, if you're a parent this morning, raise your hand. Have you got parenting figured out? Tyler Peck's not here today, so we know he has it figured out, right? You don't have it figured out. So guess what you need? You need the wisdom, you need the direction, and you need the guidance of your Heavenly Father. How many of you are married in the room today? Have you got marriage figured out? I didn't hear any husbands saying no. I heard only female voices. You don't have marriage figured out. Guess what you do need? You need the wisdom, the guidance, and the direction of your Heavenly Father. If you're an employee, guess what? You don't have figured out how to navigate the relationships you have at work so that you can muster up somehow this notion of that you have it all figured. You don't have it figured out. If you have a dollar bill in your bank account, you have not figured out how to better steward your finances than God has. I mean, everything in life, guess what we need? We need His wisdom, His guidance, and His direction. Because guess what? Every day we're making decisions. Every day we make judgment calls. Every day we decide different things in our life. And when we do it independent of his guidance, his direction, and his wisdom, it is destined to fail. 
So Paul says, listen, church, I've given you a lot of information. I've told you some things you got to put to death, put aside, put on. I've talked about priorities. I've talked about relationships. But here's the last thing I want you to know, something I want you to glean, and it's this. You need to be steadfast in prayer. You need to pray with perseverance. And you need to pray without ceasing. And then he tells us that when we do that, when we pray, when we devote ourselves to prayer, and we pray this steadfast kind of a way of praying, it helps us. And he says there's two ways it helps us. First of all, he says, continue steadfast in prayer, being watchful in it, and with thanksgiving. When we devote ourselves to prayer, listen to me, church. First of all, it helps us be watchful. Second of all, it helps us be thankful. When we devote ourselves to prayer, he says it will help you be watchful. Now, what does he mean by that? It means this that it will help us be alert to things around us. So when we devote ourselves to prayer, when we devote ourselves to communing with our Heavenly Father, seeking His wisdom, His guidance, and His direction for our lives, we will be more alert to the needs of those that are around us. We'll be more alert to our own personal needs. We will be more alert to the struggles that we have and the struggles of other people. Listen to this. We will be more alert to the temptation that is lurking around the corner waiting to devour us. Now, you may not think it's out there, but it is. In fact, if you go back when God addressed the whole Cain and Abel story, do you remember what God told Cain? He said, first of all, Cain, why is your face downcast, which means depressed in Hebrew? He says, why are you depressed, Cain? He says, if you do what is right, you'll be accepted. But if you don't, he said this, sin is crouching at the door waiting to devour you. I don't know about you, but I've given in to a lot of temptation. Anybody else? And wouldn't you like to be more watchful to stand against temptation? The only way to do it is to devote ourselves to prayer. He says, when you devote yourselves to communing with your heavenly father, it will help you be more watchful, more alert to the needs of others, to the struggles of others, but also to the temptation that's waiting right around the corner to devour you. But also will help us be thankful. I don't know about you, but in my life, when I find myself devoting myself to prayer more than ever before, I find myself way more grateful for what God has done for me. Anybody else like that? I mean, when you really devote, now, now I'm talking about this. When I say devote myself to prayer, I don't mean I'm devoting myself more time to giving God my wish list. That's not what I'm talking about. But when I'm communing with God and I'm really praying, and you, some of you may ask, well, well Doug, how do, how do I have to pray? Do I have to pray with words of eloquence? No, listen, listen. You are a friend of God. And I'm not saying pray, hey, bro, that's not what I'm talking about. There needs to be reverence in your prayer, but there, it's a conversation you have. And when I'm praying out of reverence, in fact, Jesus' model says, our Father who art in heaven. I mean, as we pray to the Father, we need to pray with such passion and just kind of, as we devote ourselves to that, one thing it does, it makes us, it helps us be more thankful. Because the more I pray and the more I devote myself to what God has done for me, I'm reminded of who I used to be. I'm reminded of that old sinful self. I'm reminded of that rebellious self. I'm reminded of what God has done for me. I'm reminded that he rescued me, he saved me, he forgave me, he has a plan for my life. I'm so thankful as I think about what God has done for me. But it's only when I devote myself to prayer does those things come to my mind. He said, listen, I want you to be steadfast in prayer. I want you to pray without ceasing. I want you to pray with perseverance. And here's why. Because I want you to be watchful. I want you to be alert to the things around you. And I want you to be thankful. 
So he says, listen, if you're going to pray like this, if you're going to be steadfast in your prayer, it's going to help you be ready for battle and ready for praise all at the same time. And then he says the second thing to the church found in verse 3 and 4. Look there with me. He says this. He says, at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on the account which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. The second thing Paul says is pray for the proclamation of the gospel. Not only be steadfast in your prayer, but let me tell you something I want you to pray for in your steadfast prayer. I want you to pray for the proclamation of the gospel. Now, you notice what Paul said there. He says, I want you to pray for us. I want you to pray that God would open doors. Now, here's what he means by that. I want you to pray that God would open doors that have previously been what? Closed. He's like, there's been doors, especially if you think about Paul, what he's going on in the Roman Empire. Paul, there's a lot of closed doors to Paul. He says, I want you to pray that God would open some doors for us. And you know why I want you to pray that? I want you to pray that so we can share the mystery, he said, the mystery of Christ, which some of you are like, is that a mystical me? It's not mystical at all. The mystery of Christ is the gospel of Christ. Here's the mystery of Christ. You ready? It is the good news of the gospel. And here's the good news of the gospel, that anyone who puts their faith in Christ will be saved, can be a child of God. And that was especially important here because it wasn't just about the Jews, now it's also about the Gentiles. So anyone who put their faith in Christ, whether they were Jew or Gentile, could be a child of God. The mystery of Christ is that if you surrender by faith to him, no matter who you are, your background, your level of sin, your ethnicity, it doesn't matter, you can become a child of God. And so I just want you to pray that God would open some doors. I want you to pray that he would open doors. And listen, did God open doors for Paul? Sure he did. I remember him leading the, the jailer to Christ. You remember him leading the jailer to Christ? I mean, do you think that was a door that God opened? Sure he did. I mean, God opened up all kinds of doors, but he's telling the church of Colossae, I want you to pray that God would open some doors so that we can share the mystery of Christ, the good news of Jesus. And he throws in here on this, on which account I'm in prison. You know where Paul was when he wrote the church of Colossae? He was in prison. Now think about it for a moment. I'm not going to rehash the whole book. Think about that for a moment. Here's a guy chained and in prison. Now, don't think of our modern-day prisons, all right? Don't think of, you know, like the things you watch on TV that's kind of lush and have their own private bathroom. And, all, and that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about basically a dungeon. They were all thrown in there together, chained to a wall. Paul is in prison as he writes the church of Colossae. Now think about in light of the whole thing, the whole book of Colossians. The whole book has one theme. Jesus is enough. Now, would that be hard to write when you're chained to a wall in prison and you have no sign of when you're going to get out? Would that be hard for you? I would struggle with that. I mean, if there's anything that I would want to say is, Jesus, I think you're enough, right? I think you're enough. I bought into you. I'm living for you. I've shared the gospel for you. But look where it landed me. I mean, if you want to use me, God, should I be on the outside of the prison and on the inside of the prison? I mean, if I was Paul, I would probably struggle with everything that he's written because I know me. I know my own selfishness. But Paul, he didn't. Paul's like, listen, I'm in prison when I'm writing this. But Jesus still is enough. Jesus is sufficient. Even though I'm chained to a wall, Jesus is still supreme, he's still sovereign, and he still is on his throne. Man, that's powerful that Paul wrote this. And I, noted, I love what he says there. He says this, open the doors to the world to declare the mystery of Christ on the count of which I'm in prison. 
I mean, just think about that. He is in prison while he's writing these words. And then he says this. Not only pray that God would open up doors, but he says, I want you to pray that the gospel will be spoken clearly. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read the New Testament, here's what I've discovered. Outside of Jesus, because Jesus is always the right answer, okay? You with me on that? He's always the right answer. Outside of Jesus, Paul was one of the top two people to share the gospel in the entire New Testament. Paul and Peter, probably the top two. And here Paul is asking for prayer that not only doors would be open, but when he, the doors are open, that he would have the clarity to speak the gospel in a way that people could understand. I figure, figured out, Paul probably had this perfected, right? I mean, Paul probably had the Roman road memorized because he wrote it, right? I mean, Paul had all of this. I mean, he knew how to share the gospel. But here Paul is, in a great sense of humility, chained to a wall, says, I want you to pray for God to open up doors, but I also want you to pray that when I have the chance to share the gospel, that it will be done with a great deal of clarity so that people might understand. Now, don't you hear me on this church? Now, do I think Paul wanted the church to pray for him in this, but also to pray that they would have open doors too? I don't know about you, but are we, do we pray that God would open up doors at work, open up doors in our social circles, to tell people about the love and the grace of Jesus Christ? Do we pray for those opportunities? And I know for some of you, immediately, that makes you really nervous. And like you start palm sweating. You're like, man, you're, are you asking me to share my faith? No, I'm not asking you. Jesus is the one who told us to do it. I'm just communicating what he said. As you are going, make what? Disciples teaching them everything that I've commanded you. That our job as a believer, and the reason I love this is because Paul's reminding these believers the same thing for us as our job as a believer. The primary mission of a believer is to share the good news of Jesus Christ. It is good news. It is good news because it doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter your race. It doesn't matter your sin level. It doesn't matter if you think you've done too much that God can never forgive you. If you surrender your life to Christ, he will save you. He will change you. He's forgiven you, and you're a child of God. It doesn't matter. It is good news. And are we praying for opportunities to share that good news? Now, if you're a Christian this morning, you've benefited from the good news, haven't you? Shouldn't we take that and share that with somebody else? And so he says, listen, I want you to pray for open doors. And then the third thing he says, last of all, which may be the most convicting of all, is in verse 5 and 6. The third thing he says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be, now underline, let it always be, gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Here's what Paul says, I want you to be wise and reaching outsiders. As you try to reach people who don't know Christ, I want you to do it with a sense of wisdom in your life. Question, where does that wisdom come from? How do we attain that wisdom? Oh, you're so smart this morning. Through prayer. It goes back to steadfast prayer, right? Pursuing and seeking him. He said, I want you to be wise in reaching outsiders. And he tells them two ways to do it. First of all, he says, I want you to walk in wisdom. Now, what does that mean? To walk in wisdom means a couple of things. To walk in wisdom, first of all, means that I'm concerned about the impression that I'm making on somebody else. See, to walk in wisdom says that I'm concerned about the impression I'm making on somebody else. Now, I'm not saying you're, you're concerned about, do I, am I impressing that person? That's not what I mean. You should be concerned about the impact, the influence, and the impression you're leaving with that person. So if you claim to be a follower of Christ and your coworkers know it, when you leave them after lunch or you leave them after work, have you made an impression on them that what you say to be true is exactly how you're living your life? Or you claim to know Christ, 
but my life doesn't quite look like that. See, to walk in wisdom is to say, hey, listen, I'm concerned that my walk and my talk match up. Now, we jokingly had this conversation, uh, uh, Sonia and I, we've had this conversation with, with Christy and John Nemeth not too long ago, but, but when my boys were younger and they played baseball and, and I played, I coached them and, and I, had to, I had to learn this lesson in my life because I, I'm, a, I'm a tad bit intense at times. I know you don't know that and believe that, but I'm a tad bit intense at times and, and, and my philosophy in playing the game is if you're going to play you probably should play to win. And so that's kind of how I coached my boys. And even when they were in Civic League, and I remember James was in Civic League and, and my oldest son, and he was playing, and we had this umpire situation. And when I say umpire situation, the umpire was an idiot. And so we had the situation where a play happened and there was a force out and somebody scored, but the force out happened and they were given the run, which is going to cause us to lose. And I just let them know they were wrong, that a force out is a force out. It doesn't matter if they wait till Christmas to cross the home plate. A force out is still a force out, so the run doesn't count. And my wife let me know that after the whole game was over with, she said, you know, you were a little bit loud when you did that. You were a little bit red-faced when you did that. And I'm not sure it made the impression on people you wanted people to have. Now, what was she saying? You're not walking in very much wisdom. You're not concerned with the impression that you're making on other people. See, to walk in wisdom and say that I'm going to be concerned with the impression I'm leaving with people it also means that I'm going to discern the situations of those that don't know Christ. One of the things I find very interesting is it's one thing for me to be concerned about my actions, but also to walk in wisdom is to make sure that I'm discerning the actions of those who don't know Christ. Here's what I mean by that. I find it interesting that there's so many believers I talk to that are trying to witness to someone who doesn't know Christ, and they're so distraught because the person who doesn't know Christ, they have foul language, they're rough around the edges, there's all these kinds of things. And I want to liberate you on that a little bit this morning. People who don't know Christ act like people who don't know Christ. Are you with me on that? Lost people act lost. Don't be bothered by that. And don't try to invoke behavior modification. Don't ask them to change behavior. Listen, when Jesus grabs the heart, the behavior will follow. And so to walk in wisdom is to be concerned about how I impress other people with my actions, but also to be discerning about those who don't know Christ. And then he says, listen, to walk in wisdom. What does that mean to walk? It means to be intentional, to be deliberate, to be urgent. To walk in wisdom means that I'm going to be deliberate and I'm going to be intentional and I'm going to be urgent in how I lead my life trying to reach those who don't know Christ. Paul says, listen, church, yes, keep steadfast in prayer. Yes, pray for the proclamation of the gospel. But as you live this life, first of all, walk in wisdom. Second thing, he says, I want you to speak rightly. Now, I love this because most of us may struggle with this. To speak rightly, he says this, let your speech be gracious. And he uses the word always. You know what always means in the Greek? You're so smart. It's always, right? It means without exception, let your speech. Now, I don't want you to raise your hand because probably all of us should raise our hand. Is there times in our lives when we're trying to reach those who don't know Christ and our speech is not always gracious, right? So what does it mean to be gracious? It means to be gentle, not harsh. It means to be kind, not arrogant, and compassionate, not condemning. He said, I want you to let your speech, and speak rightly, I want you to let your speech be gracious. And then he says, I want your speech to be salty, and I want your speech to be appropriate. 
In other words, our speech should not be offensive, but our speech should be productive and directional. Here's what I mean. When we talk to people that don't know Christ, our speech should be in such a way that we're always pointing them to the Lord. Are you with me on that? That the way we talk, how we talk, the words that come out of our mouth should be driven not by just useless speech or, or offensive speech, but we're doing it in a way to point people to the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And so Paul says, listen, church, here's what I want you to do. I want you to be wise and reaching outsiders by walking in wisdom and by speaking rightly. Now, I love how Paul ends this book. He ends it with really two challenges, ultimately. Paul challenges them first to pray, to be steadfast in the prayer, right? To be persevering in the prayer, to be consistent in the prayer, and to do so so that they can be watchful, they can be thankful. And then he tells them what to pray for. Pray that the doors will be open for the proclamation of the gospel. Listen, as a church, we need to be praying that all the time. That the doors will be open for the proclamation of the gospel to go out to the communities that surround us, to our neighborhoods, wherever we live, that the doors will be open. He asked them to do that. And then the, third, the second thing he challenged them with is make sure that you're pursuing those who don't know Christ. But here's how I want you to pursue them, if you read it. I want you to pursue them in grace and with truth, Right? grace and truth. So here's my question as we close this morning. Are you a person, and are you really a person who's being steadfast in your prayer? Are you praying with perseverance? Are you praying without ceasing? In other words, mindful of praying all the time. Are we a person who is steadfast in our prayer? And if not, listen to me, if not, what's at stake if we're not? Well, what's at stake is we won't be as watchful as we ought to be. Temptation is going to creep up on us like we've never seen before. Maybe the needs of others will be, will be oblivious to those, or the struggles of others we won't pay any attention to. We'll just walk by them and have no, no, no idea of what they're struggling with or what they need. We'll just be in our own little world. Listen, if we're not steadfast in prayer, we're going to miss some things in life. We're going to be ill-prepared for the battle that's outside waiting on us. And also, we're going to be ill-prepared for the worship experience that we have every Sunday morning. We're not going to be ready to praise the Creator in the universe. I don't know about you, but when we see songs of worship and adoration. I hope we get lost in that. I hope we don't stand there going, I don't like that song. That song's got too much kick drum in that one, right? Listen, when we sing, we're singing to an audience of one, and it's not your neighbor, and it's not you, it's to him. He's the one that deserves all the honor and the glory. And so are we steadfast in prayer? Because if not, maybe that's why you're struggling in your worship. I Maybe mean, that's why you're struggling with your gratitude. I Maybe mean, that's why you're struggling with the lack of awareness of the temptation that's around you. Are we steadfast in prayer? And if not, would you make that commitment this morning? Are we willing to pray that God would open up doors that have been closed to sharing the gospel? Maybe a friend that we know that has no desire to hear the good news of Christ, would we pray that maybe somehow God would, in a miraculous way, would open up a door that we might have a conversation that we never thought we'd be able to have? Will we ask him for that? And then last of all, are we willing to be wise and reaching outsiders, those who don't know Christ? Are we willing to walk in wisdom and to speak rightly? See, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, listen, those are things we've got to commit to. And are you willing to commit to that this morning? Are you willing to commit to steadfast prayer? Are you willing to commit to praying for doors to be open? Are you willing to commit to pray that you can walk in wisdom that you, can, that you can walk in wisdom and that you can speak rightly to those who don't know Christ. And if you're here this morning and you don't have a personal relationship with Christ, I want you to hear something for, from me. 
If you don't know Christ, if you're not sure, without a shadow of a doubt, you have a personal relationship with Christ. Not one because you grew up in church, not one because of anything else, but because if there's never been a moment that you personally have decided to trust Christ, I want you to hear something this morning. The mystery of Christ is important for you today. I don't care what you've done. I don't care where you've been. I don't care how big your sin debt is. If you're willing to surrender your life to Christ, he will save you, he will change you, he will forgive you, and you will become a child of God just like that. You don't have to work your way to it or work your way through it. He will guide you and direct you. And once he changes this, behavior will follow. And if you never trusted him, would you do that this morning? Would you just simply acknowledge, Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. And I believe that Jesus died on the cross for me. And I confess him as my Lord and my Savior today. And if you will do that, he will change your life and change your eternity. So what commitment do you need to make this morning? Let's all stand together if we would. Everybody stand with me. With every head bowed and every eye closed, just stand with me. Father God, we love you. We thank you for today. I thank you for this passage, Lord. I thank you that we're able to take the words of Paul and we're able to see as he finished this, this, this amazing book to the church of Colossae. And after everything he said, he just reminded them, hey, listen, church, as you encounter this war zone spiritually, as you seek to stand firm in your faith, stay on your knees. Keep praying. Don't get distracted. Continually pray so that you can be watchful and you can be thankful. Lord, I thank you for the words of Paul that reminds us of the mission of the church, the mission of every believer, that we pray that doors would be open that have been closed so that we can share the only message that can change somebody's eternity. And the Lord, I pray for believers that we'd be willing to commit today to walk wisely as we seek to reach those who don't know you. That we would walk in wisdom. That our speech would be right and that everything we do and everything we say would point people to the only one that can change their life and that's Jesus so God I pray for believers across the room this morning that you would convict us of where we struggle with these three things and that we would make a new commitment to you but God I pray for maybe that one person today that's not sure beyond a shadow of a doubt that they have a relationship with you that today they would realize they don't have to work their way to be in right standing with you that all they have to do is surrender. Acknowledge who they are. Acknowledge what you've done. And surrender their life to you. And Lord, I pray somebody today would do that. God, however you're working in our hearts, however your Holy Spirit is moving, would we be faithful to respond to that? Lord, we love you. We bless you. We thank you for all that you do. For it's in your precious son's name we pray. Amen. If you need to respond this morning, you can come to the altar. The altar is open. If you need to stay set back down and just kind of pray and get, get alone with God, you can do that. But whatever it is, wherever, however the Holy Spirit's been leading you this morning, whatever area of believer you may be struggling with, would you make a new commitment to the Lord? And if you're that person in the room today that doesn't know Christ as your Savior, would you make that decision? Or if you need help with that, I mean, I'll be standing right here or I can, I'll be outside when you leave and I'd love to talk to you. But don't let this moment slip you by. I don't want you to leave today not sure that if death were to knock on your door that you would not spend eternity with Christ forever. You can be sure today. But you've got to surrender your life. So if you need to do that today, would you, I challenge you to do that. So the altar's open. 
I just challenge us all to respond as the Lord might be leading us. So help join us as we continue in worship.